Good morning, everybody. I'll say it again. Good morning, everybody. The announcement we made for the Thanksgiving feast is actually the 16th, not the 9th. But if anybody wants to bring some cake on the 9th, I will gladly receive it. I take all the first fruits of dessert, and the doctors can tell. So really want to welcome you to Grace Point Church and welcome our guests. We really love you guys being out here, and we want to say thank you for coming out. I know there's a lot of places you could have came, but you came here. So, and you come at the right time. This is our series. We're talking about paying it forward. And now, last week, I gave out some envelopes to a couple of folks. Uh, anybody here who I gave the envelope out to? No one? Who's here? Anybody? Come here, sir. Did you, did you pay, before you come up here, did you pay it forward? Okay, come up here and tell me what happened. Okay. Go ahead, sir. Okay, um, well, Pastor Rich gave me an envelope um, last week and uh, had some money in it, and so I was challenged to pay it forward. So um, what I went and did is I was wanting Chick-fil-A, so I went up to Chick-fil-A. Um, I bought my meal, and then I paid uh, all the money that he had given me out of the envelope to the next few people in line. Wow. So, wow. Um, so I hope I bless them and what they did. So. Awesome. What was their response? I don't know. Hopefully okay. blessed. All right, good. No, it's good. Good. So, Though out of your comfort zone a little bit, huh? Oh, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Give them a lot of hand this morning. Come on, somebody. That's what it's about, you know, paying it forward is out of our comfort zones because we like to do our business and take off. And Chick-fil-A, sometimes you have to use all that money. But really, what we're going to do today is um, talk about our, our message this morning. It's called heart transplant. Heart transplant. And what the story we're going to use in uh, the scripture we're going to use is Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 38. Luke chapter 6. Verses 37 and 30. I'll give you a little background on this scripture here. A lot of writers say this was part of Jesus when he, had the, um, when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and some of the writers say, well, it was after that because it doesn't exactly match. Luke doesn't match um, Matthew. So they all came up with this thing. It was called Sermon on the Plains. So since we're all in the South Plains, this morning is going to be Sermon on the South Plain. How's that? Amen. All right. And we'll start in verse 37 and 38. It's a scripture that we well know. Um, we actually party off the scripture, but there's so much more in it as we go through the whole context of the scripture. So as, ju- as we're to start in verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. There's a great one we like. Given it would be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, put it into your lap. For with the measure you use it, you want to circle that. It will be measured back to you. Now, Jesus is speaking here, talking about just uh, wheat. When they used to go get wheat, and they would put them in the bushels, and they would pour it in as it came in. They would shake the bag a little bit and fill it all up and pour some more and shake the bag and fill it all up until it became flat and run over. Then they would take what they were wearing and get the overflow and, and go out. And that's what... Jesus is saying to us, to the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, a lot of times we use the scripture all by itself in verse 38. 
And we say, yeah, it'll be given to you, great measure, press down, shake it together. But God is saying in the scripture, if you look at it, there's a heart thing first. Because again, God doesn't bless giving. He blesses giving with the right heart. And I've been guilty of just dancing on this scripture and not looking at the rest of it, the context of it. And some of you might have been given for years, but if your heart is not right, the measure you put in, you will not get back. And it's interesting how you put this together. It says, our behavior toward others will determine God's behavior toward us. Judging, condemnation. Now, judging and condemnation are both the same, synonyms of one another. And he put this in the context of giving. And last week, we talked about giving is really a ministry. And we had a great time yesterday. I want to do this. Those who participated in the garage sale, those who gave to the garage sale, those who showed up and bought from the garage sale, won't you please stand for a moment? Come on, give them a hand. It's amazing. Thank you so much for the work they've done. And I've never seen such an organized garage sale. Guys wouldn't have got it that organized. Don't know the ladies were running it. We made close to $500. And that was to pay it forward to our local charities here. And that's what it's about. And you guys pay it forward. Also, when it wasn't sold, we're able to give the goodwill. So other families will have something for the holidays. So I thank you guys, the ones who gave, who stood there and sold, and the ones who really contributed by praying for it. Thank you so much. You're amazing. And the guys who had some guys, had some mighty men that were um, in, the, in the fold helping the ladies out, and they did a great job. And we want to thank you for that. And why did we do that? Because we want to pay it forward. And last week we talked about we don't want anything back. We don't want to be famous. We just want to minister to people in our community because we love our community. So when we go back to the scripture, chapter 6, verses 37 and 38, when I was studying the scripture, there's about three types of hearts I ran through. And here's the thing about these three things. We all seem to battle with them on a daily basis. First one was a judgmental and condemning heart. Second one was an unforgiving heart. Third one was a compassionate heart. With the judgmental and condemning heart, looking at that, when you put those words together, judgmental and condemnation, you're actually becoming a judge on other people's lives, and you're actually declaring them guilty. And if typical, the other end of that is what we need to do is mercy versus judging. And how many struggle with judging if you don't have all the information? You judge someone's lifestyle. You don't know what's going on. And the Christian, we just, we're good at it. Had a, uh, Robert Morris stood up the other day with a pastor in his office. He said, you know, Al, <laughs> he seems like the body of Christ is the only ones who authorize to shoot our wounded. And we judge, and we don't know the whole story. There's always a story we learned in, in um, ENLI, Every Nation Leadership Institute. It says, suppose you're walking and seeing one of your brothers in the mall. If I go on with Elder Mark, and we walk right by Elder Mark, he doesn't say anything to me. My reaction is, what's wrong with him? Always talks to me when I'm at church. Doesn't want to talk to me in public. 
Then someone fills me in. Well, he just found out he had a devastation thing, something devastating happened in his family. So he really wasn't thinking about seeing you at that moment. See the difference? How many of us, at firsthand knowledge, judge just that quick and do not have the rest of the information? Now, there's a bunch of guys in the Bible called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were great at judging people. And if you look in Luke 18, verses 11 through 14, it's amazing. It says, the Pharisee standing by himself praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes all I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. To me, a sinner. I tell you that men, I tell you this, man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. This is one of these very, very, I get scared of this verse. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Reason why I, I have to keep that in my eyesight, the more you grow in Jesus, the more you grow in your walk with God, the more you can um, be um, subject to pride and say, I'm here and they're there. And it's easy to do. How come they're not like that? How come they're? In the world of discipleship, people grow at different times. It's like planting a garden. You've been there. You plant bushes, the same bushes in the same soil <laughs> and water them the same day. One's up this high, one doesn't know what it's doing, and the other one refuses to grow. Same soil, same water, same fertilizer. These men lost it, thought they were everything. They were working for God and not walking with him. They call this the, the Pharisees, and the tax collector who wasn't even legal to testify in court because they called them crooked. They say they were liars. He realized his place in God. You need to always recognize your weakness in God, that nothing ever good comes out of my life except God doing it. Because in Matthew 7, 2, it says this, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure, come on now, you use it, it'll be measured to you. So if you give judgment, you'll receive judgment. And the world doesn't need judgment. The world needs mercy. I used to say this line, oh my gosh, they ought to get what they deserve. And I'm glad that Jesus didn't say, Richard, get what you deserve. God showed mercy on us, not what we deserve. It's called grace. He saved us. He took the punishment we should have taken. So I'm the one that should have the same mercy. Now, I'm not talking about mercy that you just refuse to be, have um, wisdom, but you have wisdom with this. You have mercy with wisdom and, dis, and dis, um, discernment. But our hearts have to be pricked every day. 
knowing who we are and whose we are. And never thought we have arrived because what we do when we judge people, we judge people off the fact of what we would do. I would do this. I would do that. I would. So that's not you. They're them. Now, there's correction that comes, but you got to have that relationship first before you have correction. And this is a heart that's judgmental and condemning. And to the measure you judge people, it'll be measured back to you. It's called the world of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you shall reap. Parents, very important, very important lesson. What you sow into your children, you'll see it reaping when they turn 21. Or before then, if you show that they're not important, they're going to show that you're not important. Come on, somebody. Human life. If you show, you sow that which is negative, you'll receive back negativity. That's the way God set it up. Because it's so easy to condemn than it is to extend mercy. You know, showing mercy, guys, is not a demonstration of weakness. It's a demonstration of strength. Taking the high road, it's not weakness. It's strength. Walking away, it's not weakness. It's strength. Showing mercy, seeing people as God sees people. They didn't talk to me. How did, what's going on with them? How come they're so mean to me? Well, I don't know. Why don't you ask them? Why don't you observe their life for a little while and see what's going on? Because if they're mean to you at work, I bet you at home, they're worse. This is before we get to giving. This is giving. It's character giving. It's not about the money. It's about us. Second one is a hard one. Unforgiving heart, which means the opposite. The next thing on that, you need to forgive. It's an interesting scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It's kind of interesting. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. We see that reconciliation is more important to God than the gift. Think about it. You want to be blessed. You want to give, but you have unforgiveness in your heart. And you're wondering, God, what is going on? Your heart. When you get down to the matter of the heart, it's always the heart. Thomas Fuller said this, he that cannot forgive others break the bridge over which he must pass himself. For every man has need to be forgiven. Basically, we can't receive from God what we're unwilling to extend to others. This is a tough one because we, I mean, any day you can walk around and get offended. 
you're a pastor, you can get offended every single day because you get blamed for everything, which is okay. It's part of the business. But I look at it this way. I, I always look at unforgiveness this way. If you're a fence, you put a fence up. I talked about this last two weeks ago. You can't get out. But I see when we're trying to walk together in the body of Christ, all three of us are walking together. And then all of a sudden, unforgiveness happens to the one in the middle. And we're still walking. And we're still walking. And we're experiencing new things. And we're doing, and then we have to call back, send an email. How you doing? I'm doing blessed. I'm all right. I'm just t- taking care of some stuff. And they stay back here. And you, go, you keep going. You keep going. Where are they going? You got to come back. How you doing? It's all right. And then you ask them, what's going on? Know what they remember? Nothing new. No new revelation. They remember they're hurt. It could be a year, three years, five years, six years. They remember the hurt. And they're thinking that if they stop walking, they're hurting the other person. Who doesn't know? And really, they really don't care. Come on, this is one of the biggest things. We can't forgive one another. We get caught up in this thing. And you know who uses it well? Our enemy, Satan. He knows how to bust it up. And in a church like this, we all think different. We all act different. We all walk different. And we might say one thing that, hey, I don't get that. And then you, what happened? Here's the thing. You throw water on it. I like this. You got to be like we do in school. Who hurts you? So-and-so. Okay, come with me. We're going to go get, take you in front of so-and-so. Now, you and so-and-so, work. this happens in my office all the time. And you, now work it out. And now I find out who doesn't want to take the high road. Because in the kingdom of God, we're all wrong. You're wrong, I'm wrong, he's right, which says submit to one another. I mean, Jesus got offended. Will we be here right now? Didn't he have reason to really get offended? I mean, a lot of reason. Millions of reasons. He didn't. What does he call his children to do? What happens is you miss the best days of your life. If you ask the old saint, it's been around a lot of years. I think it was Papa Winans. He, uh, one of our pastors asked him, give me some wisdom. I know you're about to die. He said this. Son, I want you to forgive quickly and love more abundantly. That's how I got through this life. I'm not saying forget it, but you got to change the meaning of it. Most of the people who offended me helped me grow. Now, you have scars, but I'm going to be walking around with a lot of scars. It's okay. Jesus had a lot more scars, and we were, he was unrecognizable, as the Bible says. And unforgiveness. If you come out of a bad situation, it, you get no one else has a chance. If you come out of it, you have a lens. I'm just waiting for them to do the same thing they did to me back then. Everyone else is the issue. And they don't even know they did it. The only thing that's not the issue. And the most dominant thing is you. You're not hurting them. They know nothing about it. Because like I said, we're walking and we're experiencing new things. And 
If you're young and you get offended and you're 40-something years old and you still remember what they did to you back in Sunday school, come on now. You don't do anything. You don't, you don't experience the life of God. You go this far and say, oh, I know I'm not going any further. I'm just going to check myself. I'm, I'll show them. You're not showing them anything. Come on. This is a hard point. Because we all got, we can all have, and I, I can't, I, you can justify every offense. I know you can. So could Jesus. But God told us forgive. You know where maturity is? Forgiving and going. You want to know how to mature in the body of Christ? Get roughed up and still come out and still preach the gospel and still love those people. Then that's how you grow. But you hold it in. You're crying. You're upset. You don't know. No one understands. No one loves me. Who told you that? Who actually told you that? Who did I ever tell you I hate you? No, the enemy does. And he does it, and he says it, and he says it, and says it, and then we all, what's going on? And then we spread it, and spread it, and spread it, and spread it, and then you got 15 people upset with, with you, so you got to go through all 15 people. You know what he said all last Sunday? Did he? And then you ask me, what'd you say? I don't remember. I don't even know what I said last week. That's the good thing about getting old. You forget. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, you forget. One of my strength tests, I talk, I turn, and I walk. They say it's a blessing that I just say, okay, it's damaged, let's go. They said, but the other people get upset because they want to look at it. I don't have time to look at it. I don't remember it. I don't remember it. Now, if you write it down, <laughs> that's fine. I got to remember where you put it. <laughs> have no idea. reason why I'm so strong in that that's what I had to deal with when I walked in this church back in 99. Hurt from another church. Dealing with racism. And I have some brothers that walked me through it. Because I said, I see something in you. If you walk, keep walking in this, you're going to destroy whatever God has for you. And I listened. He said, and brother, you cannot get anywhere without a relationship. I said, because he said, you're secure, and I love this is Pastor Jeff's line. See, we get our security and our identity in Christ, but we get our shaping in the body of Christ. And you're going to get shaped into some molds you don't even like, but really, it's, it's good for you. Got one year up. Thank you. They <laughs> say, I wish you could get off this. Can't get off it because it's a, it's a, it's a mind-throwing thing. You destroy yourself, and really you're not hurting anybody but yourself. You're drinking poison, hope they die. You hope they, hope they feel it. They don't feel anything. They really don't. And what happens is you go right into self-pity. Now, I had a dad. You weren't allowed to have self-pity in the house. But really, don't build your life on it. The devil uses it every time to blow up something good. To kill the unity of the body. He does it well. But we don't have to let him do it well. We can expel him out of our lives. Period. Last one is a compassionate word. Compassionate heart. We get down to giving, finally. That way, compassionate heart means love. We determine the dimension of what we receive. 
by the dimension of our giving. If you say, I'm not receiving anything, you're not giving anything. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about your time, your talents, then your tithe. Like that song, I give it all to you. Can I say this without offending anybody? I probably will. I don't get tired. Now, I could be tired, but I don't get tired of doing this. I'm not overdrawing my bank here. When you're called, there's no such thing as a reservoir. I mean, you have a reservoir. The Holy Spirit fills you all the time, and he enables you. Now, at the end of the day, I'm done. But really, I gave enough. I've done enough. Time for me. When you pull back, you know what happens when you pull back and pull out? And really had nothing to do with your feelings. Because this is about love. How much do you love people? How much do you love God? Did Jesus pull out when he got tough? If he did, we wouldn't have church today. I hear, I'm I'm just burnt out. You have to get in the word of God. You got to get in the the presence of God. Then you won't be burnt out because you'll realize you'll love who God loves and you'll continue to go. And when you're with friends, they can tell if you're tired, they'll pray for you. We're an army and we are his children. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, when you get tired because you're working off your own energy, not the Holy Spirit. What drives us? A compassionate heart. The scriptures in 2 Corinthians. Love compels us to do things. Compels us. That means I'm being compelled by love. Because I want everybody to come to the measure of truth and know who Jesus is. And I want them all to be in family. I'm driven to that. Because I know how I was when I was outside of family. But you can guess who knows if you're more powerful in the family. But if you pull back, guess what happens to you? When you're by yourself, you know, you've been there. Guys, we're great at it. We're in, the, we're in our cave. I'm working it out. I'm working it out. You're not even thinking. You're working it out. And the devil's like telling you, guess what, man? They don't care. They can care less about you. See, they don't even call you. See, they're nobody. And you're like, who told you that? So I call the guys. Come out the cave. They say, I know you. How you know I was in the cave? Because I go in the cave. And when family's going, it's just me and God. <laughs> I don't know where that line came from. But if that was the case, Jesus would have did it all by himself. You and God. You, God, and God's people. And they will have a person that will tell you, hey, you can stand up. And you're not going to like it. They're going to call you up. You're not going to like it, but they see something you greater than you see in yourself. Why would you sell yourself to pull out and pull back? There's no action there. We're all built to do something. We're built out to the image of God. There's something that's, and then we get upset. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Well, you're the one that pulled out. I got to keep going. I don't know how I got on that. <laughs> Proverbs 19:17 says this. Whoever is generous to the poor, lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. That word lends, I looked that up. In the Hebrew, it means to join. We start to join in God and his work. You're actually working in 
first before formation with God. That's when you'll get tired. You're joining him in his work. God didn't get tired. Now, I know physically tired you can get. Emotionally tired you can get. But spiritually tired because you're not in the word. Come on. And you go. And that word repay. That was a fascinating word. It means this, shalom in in the Hebrew. Peace. To be at peace. Is realize you ever see a giver who's just loving life and they seem like they're always at peace because it also means you enter the covenant of peace with God. That's how he repays us with peace, not more money, but peace. How many want some peace in your life? Everyone, if I get the money, if you get the money, you're not going to have any peace because you don't know what to do with it. If you make too much XRS, you know how to take it. Learn that this year. Man, they're good and fast. Think about it. Peace. You're joining God and what he is, a giver, and then we have peace as we're doing it because his desire is us to have peace because he's called the prince of peace. See the difference when you give your life? The heart, when you transform your heart. When I learn, it's not about me. It's not about me at all. It's about him. It's about you guys. Getting all that God has for you. Because those who are generous both materially and in your estimation of people, you'll be abundantly repaid. So he's saying this. You give your materials, but you have a great estimation of people. You see them the way God sees them. And you'll be paid back. I think like the young man. Went past his comfort zone, but I bet you at the end he probably said, man, I feel good. I feel, man, I just did something. I feel good. Why? Because you have some, uh, some, you're walking with God. And that's what God would do. And that's why it's outside our, our comfort zone to do that, to give. It's interesting, though. When I looked at it, I said, how, Pastor Rich, how do I get there? God wants us to have a pure heart. A pure heart. 5110 is a... Um, a psalm that David wrote after he found out that he, he just, well, he did sin. He just found out from Nathan that he slept with Bathsheba. And he was devastated after Nathan um, exposed him for it. And he wrote Psalms 51. And there's one thing he put in there. In verse 10, and this is my prayer all the time for me. I don't have brought it into pride. I don't walk in judgment, in, con- in condemning people. I don't, I don't, look, I don't walk around in unforgiveness. I shake it as quick, fast as I can. Because what God wants us to do, he says, I love this in 5110. He said, create in me. See, our God's a creator. A clean heart. When that word clean in the Hebrew means pure heart. So I have a pure eyes and a pure attitude toward everything in life. Oh, God, renew a right spirit within me. I'm going to go to 11. Is that okay? I'm throwing you a curveball. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 12 is amazing. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with with a willing spirit. 
when he's talking about three things, create in me, renew me, and bring your presence to me, and that restores my joy of life. There's nothing worse than people walking around who are Jesus and born again. What is that? When they're walking around outside who don't know Jesus like that. And you need somebody, to, and I have those days, but you know, Jesus raises my head up and says, stop looking at yourself and start looking out what I'm doing. But I have a pure heart. It's an everyday exchange. Because if I don't have wit with him every day, in the word of God, not from someone else's preaching, time in prayer, time in his spirit, this heart would walk around judging, condemning, full of unforgiveness, and I won't go any, we won't go anywhere. What would a church look like with a pure heart for one another and for the community? Can I give you a bulletin? Everyone knows what we're against. Everyone knows what we disdain as Christians. No one's experiencing the mercy and the grace. What would a church look like? What would a home look like? With pure hearts for one another. What would it look like? A unified body with the heart of God. I understand your past, but you got to change the, the um, meaning of your past to make you propel you into your future. Everything that has helped bad to me in the past has helped propel me to the future. The reason why in America does not get it right sometimes because we don't learn from the past. That's why we keep repeating it. And we call it new ideas. No, it's not a new idea. They did that in 1950. But Christians have a new day, a new grace every single day. What would it look like? With pure eyes, pure hearts, attitudes, a body sold out for Christ together, together, shook off all that stuff, judgmental and condemnation, shook off all the unforgiveness, put on compassion and love for one another and for our, our community. What would, I see that kind of stuff all the time. I love that stuff. I got a taste of it when we were in Desert Storm. And they stopped calling us this unit and that unit. And we were in deployed six months. And we became one and we became this massive. And we didn't figure we didn't know what we were doing. Came this massive army. And then when we got back home, we broke up and a lot of guys got because that oneness was gone. It was a temporary thing. But God showed me that's what the kingdom of God is, not temporary. It is permanent. Everyone coming together. How do you get 12 disciples from all different walks of life come together for one? Fishermen upset with the tax collector who robs them all the time. Then you have a thief named Judas walking with these guys every single day. They knew he was a thief, but they understand the grace and mercy. What would it look like? All races. All ages, 
all socioeconomic different backgrounds come together to change Abilene. This is our city. I live out in a place now that's grown by 5,400 people moved into my area in Taylor County. What would it look like if we planned a church in Taylor County with 5,400 people who aren't going to church? What would it look like? A body of Christ that was going to look, look all different. See, I'm not thinking about my headaches, I'm not thinking about my offenses. I'm thinking about the dreams that God has given each of his body. Everybody says, how come you're still here? Because God showed me something huge in this city. And we're different, and I love we're different. We don't fit the same church box on the shelf. We have a campus ministry. We have this other ministry. We have a great children's ministry. We got all the things and all the leaders and all the people from all different areas timed us for the move out and touch our community and pay it forward. They need love. They need grace. They need mercy. That's what they need. And they don't even know they need it. Until you show up. It's something bigger. It's something bigger. And what happens is when it's something so big, a lot of us, because of our past, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go because of what happened before. Well, that doesn't work. That's not helping you. Gifts and talents are in you that need to be used. One thing I heard in business school, one guy said, you know where the richest place is in the world? The graveyard. Because all the dreams and visions died when the people didn't actually employ them. What would it look like if you shook off judgment and condemnation? What would it look like if you just got rid of unforgiveness and let them people go? In fact, don't have to let the people, let yourself go. I'll tell you what it looked like. A city changed for Jesus. A family changed for Jesus. A nation the only hope that's left is Christ. That's why it's the gospel, the good news. There is no other plan, guys. There's not, a, there's not a plan from Congress. The president doesn't know what to do. Only Jesus does. Who has Jesus? We do. And there's no one who's unimportant. What does it look like? I want you to go, what does that look like? That's why I go to bed with it all the time. And to the measure that we pour our lives out in this community is the measure you'll receive from God to pour back out more. So you don't keep that measure. You give it out more. So as you grow more, you give more. Come on, somebody. And here's the thing. You're doing it under Jesus, his strength and power and his spirit. Joy will be restored to your life. Because then you come on Sunday morning, you'll come like this. Who can I encourage today? Who needs, if I stay home, I can't encourage anybody. Who do I need? Who needs a word from God today? And you're the one that has it. But if you sit on it, they'll miss it. And the devil's good at it. He'll keep you down 
Remember what happened before when you stepped out? You know what happened before? They're going to do it. And I'm telling you, he doesn't stop. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is more powerful than any negative word over your life, any negativity in your life. If someone hurts you, shake it off. Pray for them. If trauma is going on in your life, like I told you a few weeks ago with me, you got to keep moving. I love our Marines. Simplify, right? Simplify? Is that it? Simplify. Say it again. What does that mean? Always faithful. I got a bad leg. Always faithful. Because in the Marines, you're not allowed to have anything bad. Everything's got to be good. I think that's how God wants us. Not to destroy us, but love us. Every head bowed, every eye closed.